Hey, hurdlers. Emily Abadi here. You are listening to another installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle. On today's episode, I am talking to Ashley Reaver. She is a registered dietitian and lead nutrition scientist at Inside Tracker, all about training nutrition, what to do when you've got a big goal on the horizon, you're cranking up the frequency, the regularity of your workouts, maybe you're training for a marathon, and you need to know what you should be doing when it comes to your food intake, your hydration intake, your electrolyte intake, your vitamins, your minerals, all the things. We're going to get into absolutely everything today. Let me tell you, it it always blows my mind when I sit down with such a qualified expert as Ashley. Her wealth of knowledge is apparent from the first thing she says in today's episode. And I was just so grateful for all of her input. I learned a lot. We talk about the specific role that electrolytes play for our hydration and why they are an important thing to keep in the mix, especially when we are increasing our regular training. And we also talk about what to have pre-workout, what to have post-workout, that Goldilocks, as we deem it today, nutrition amounts when it comes to carbs and proteins and fats and what you need to get in post-training to make sure that you're taking care of your body, you're refueling those glycogen stores, and you're helping your muscles repair themselves. So much goodness in today's episode. I did mention that she is the lead nutrition scientist at Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a new sponsor to the podcast. So Welcome, Inside Tracker. And if you are interested in getting 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store, head on over to insidetracker.com/slash hurdle. No code necessary. Again, if you don't know about Inside Tracker, through their patented analysis of blood, DNA, and lifestyle, they have created a one-of-a-kind science-backed action plan that can help you reach your potential for better than ever performance and a longer, healthier life. Super stoked on this episode, super stoked on all the takeaways. And I know that they're gonna give you a helping hand regardless of what your upcoming goals are. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abad. And I would love it if you would leave me a voicemail and ask me any of your questions, whether it's on this subject, other subjects, I'm all ears. I would love to answer one of your questions in an upcoming episode. The link to do that is in the show notes. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Ashley Reaver. She is the lead nutrition scientist for Inside Tracker. She's also a registered dietitian. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Emily. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited that we're sitting down to do this selfishly because I just need to soak up so much of your knowledge at this very moment. (laughs) (laughs) So we're sitting down today to talk a little bit about nutrition, specifically when it comes to a training cycle. A lot of running, a lot of activity, which means that without a doubt, we have to adjust what we're taking into our bodies, correct? Absolutely. Definitely the amount, as well as maybe focusing on some nutrients a little bit more specifically too. 
Super important. So we're sitting down here today and I called Ashley into the mix because her and I had the opportunity to chat through my Inside Tracker results. Now, full disclosure, Inside Tracker is a relatively new sponsor on Hurdle, but I discovered Inside Tracker, gave it a whirl, and this partnership came together supernaturally. And I can't even begin to tell you how happy I am that I took the time to do something like this. Uh, my Inside Tracker experience involved blood work, a DNA swab, and then through the app, I am able to take that information, compare it to some of the information I have from different fitness wearables and get a holistic picture of what's going on in my body, which is just something I never did before. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think most people, we have a ton of data on ourselves, but if you can't make any insights or you can't take any actions from all of that data, then what's the point? Um, totally. And that's really the goal of Inside Tracker is to pull together your physiological data from wearables, data from your blood, as well as what your DNA tells us to put together an action plan for you. Makes sense. So my personal action plan, and then I'll stop talking about me, is uh, <laughs> when we when we spoke the last time, when we connected over the phone, we were talking a little bit about how I had been feeling a little bit tired and reflected in my blood work was that my iron was a little bit low and so were my ferritin levels, which made a lot of sense. And I, I found out in retrospect that this is actually something that a lot of women struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. And iron deficiency is the most common nutrient deficiency in the United States. About 30% of premenopausal women do not take in enough iron. Um, obviously, iron needs are a bit higher if you have a regular loss of blood. But also, if you add on top of that um, activity, running, when your foot strikes the ground, red blood cells passing underneath your foot can rupture, then your body has to recycle those, as well as if you don't take in a lot of iron from your diet. Um, for most people in the United States, red meat is kind of the go-to food for iron, although mollusks, mussels, oysters, um, clams, and octopus are also a really good source of iron. But if those two things aren't in your diet almost on a daily basis, it is pretty difficult to get in enough iron to meet those really high needs. Yeah. So I've been, you know, treating myself to oysters on the regular since our conversation. Of course, awesome. this just being one of the recommendations that you and I spoke about relevant to me and my needs. But I will say that in tweaking my diet, I'm certainly starting to feel just a little bit more energized. It could also for sure, hand in hand, go with the fact that we've been a little less oppressive humidity when I've been going out there for those longer runs lately. For sure. <laughs> For sure. So let's bring it back around now and go through some practical advice for anyone who is diving into a training session. Many of my listeners right now gearing up for fall marathons, but whether or not that is you, the good news is that a lot of these suggestions can just be helpful to keep in mind as we go forward. So where, where would you even say is a good place to start when it comes to taking into account the fact that someone's activity levels are about to skyrocket? Yeah, I think the most important place to start is try and just get a baseline understanding of where your body is. Is your body even in a place to start ramping up that training? Because one thing that happens in training is it's a big wear and tear on your body. And it, if there's a deficit, you're never going to be able to make that up while you're putting your body under so much stress. So at the beginning of all training blocks, you want to make sure that you are kind of in tip top shape, the nutrient levels that you can control are adequate. 
Um, your stress level is great. You're sleeping well. You're not kind of ignoring some little nagging injuries because those are just going to accumulate as you get into this really heavy training period. I personally like to have a baseline look under the hood. And then it's always a great idea to take a look under the hood a few weeks into training and just be able to see how your body is responding. Are you giving it enough energy in general? Did you increase your iron during this training period enough? Like maybe you're not taking in enough fats and that's starting to show up in your markers as well. And for someone that is interested in perhaps doing an inside tracker test or perhaps even just going to their physician and, and getting some more intel on what's going on in their body, what would you say a red flag would be, so to speak, to look out for before undergoing a training cycle? So of all of the nutrients that we take in, there's a good blood test for only three of them. And that's going to be ferritin, which is kind of an indirect marker of your iron stores, vitamin B12, and vitamin D. Those, those are three markers that I encourage everyone to test. Um, if your physician will not order them, tell them that you don't eat meat very often, then they have probable cause to look into ordering them. Mm. Ferritin is a protein that our body produces in response to our iron stores. So if you have a low ferritin level, it's a good indication that you don't have very high iron stores. And iron, while you're training, is insanely important because it's what our body uses to make hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is what attaches to iron, transports it from our lungs to those working muscles. Even outside of training, if you're just feeling generally fatigued, that three o'clock comes and you need a, a nap most days, that's a marker that's worth looking into. Um, vitamin B12 is something that we can only get from animal products or fortified foods. So if you are someone that doesn't include a lot of animal products in your diet, also feeling fatigued, maybe having just general brain fog, that's a great one to get tested. And then vitamin D, a lot of people are low in vitamin D, um, especially if you're living in a city where you don't often get that much sunshine. But that one's really important for athletes as well, because, you know, it's often overshadowed, I'd say the role of what vitamin D actually does is it helps to absorb calcium from our digestive tract so that we can deposit it in our bones and use it for all of the other things that we need calcium for. For runners in particular, you are putting a lot of stress on your bones. If you don't have adequate levels of vitamin D, that's going to increase your risk of developing a stress fracture, especially as your training really, really picks up. Those are like three low-hanging fruit. We can see what your blood levels are. You can very quickly start taking a supplement or making some changes to your diet to lift those up so that you don't feel like crap during your training as well as don't potentially injure yourself. Right. Very, very important. So it's so funny that you were saying vitamin D. I'm literally sitting here with this <laughs> vitamin D vial like on my desk <laughs> that uh, that I get from Athletic Greens and I put it in my coffee every single morning. Easy. 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 Okay. So... Those three things, super important to look out for. Now, you're starting to train. What would you say is the absolute first thing that you should be mindful of if you're going to be ramping up your activity when it comes to your nutrition? Calories, 100%. Um, I think one thing that is often a common trap for a lot of individuals is not necessarily thinking about eating as a part of training. Um Overall, if we don't take in enough calories, it's a stressor on our body. Our body responds to that in the same way if we have mental or emotional stress, if we don't sleep, if we just you know do high intensity seven days a week, not having enough calories, our body responds the same way. It's going to increase that stress hormone of cortisol, 
which really goes to work breaking down our muscles to release glucose so that during activity, we have some sort of a fuel source to get us through that workout as well as to keep your heart beating and your lungs breathing. So that's a super, super important thing. As those miles start racking up, you also want to start racking up more calories and being more strategic about where you place those calories throughout the day. So I am like hungry constantly while I'm training. And I always joke with my male friends because I feel as though I gain weight while I'm training for a marathon. But men, it's just like they can't eat enough fast enough. Yeah. Like what? what's going on with that? Talk to me about that. <laughs> well, uh, that one I would say I don't know necessarily the <laughs> underlying biochemistry, but that is incredibly common. And a lot of people yeah. think that they go into training as a way, you know, I'm going to train for this race. I'm going to lose weight. In reality, most people gain weight. You're like the goal of your training is to be fueled for that training. If you are losing a lot of weight while you're training, you're clearly not giving your body the energy that it needs to be able to support that training, even to support that performance ultimately on that end goal of race day. So that's a good thing that you're, you know, your body is using those nutrients in particular, they're going to building more muscle mass to help carry you to that, you know, crossing that finish line someday. I, you have reinstilled my confidence in myself. I'm no longer self-conscious about the fact that I feel as though I'm the only person gaining weight during marathon training. I'm doing something right. You're the only one doing it right then. (laughs) The only one. The only one. So aside from intaking more calories, what else should we be mindful of in terms of perhaps where those calories are coming from? Sure. So... uh, I feel like the nutrition field at the moment, or at least the nutrition landscape is just full of like landmines everywhere at the moment. Um, It is very confusing for a lot of people. But when you are doing high intensity activity like running, your body utilizes carbohydrates for fuel. So increasing your carbohydrate intake is incredibly important. Yes, your overall calories should increase, but that should largely be driven by carbs as well as maybe a small increase in your fat intake to help make up any difference there. Your protein needs stay pretty much the same. Um, They can increase a little bit if you've never exercised before, but if you're someone that's generally active all the time, your protein needs don't increase super drastically. Um, Those carbs, on the other hand, when you're doing high-intensity activity, about 90% plus of the energy that your muscles using are coming from carbohydrates. That doesn't mean that your body can't utilize fat, but it is much more taxing. It utilizes about, or it requires about 10% more oxygen to be able to use fat for fuel than carbohydrates. And that more oxygen translates to your breathing rate increasing. Um, So you feeling out of breath as well as your heart rate increasing. So that effort feeling a lot more difficult. If the end point is you running, why would you put more stress on your body. You're already asking it to do a lot. Why not just give it the fuel source that it's going to be able to use the most efficiently? There's some um, really cool research showing that for marathon runners, about 99% of their energy comes from carbohydrates. That is what the body naturally wants in that high intensity situation. If you're going for a walk, you're going for a hike, your body can utilize a larger percentage of fat as fuel. But once that heart rate gets up above 70%, you need those carbs. So that's really what you want to be focusing on increasing, including in every single meal, as well as focusing pre-workout and post-workout to make sure that you're replenishing carbs that have been used to. 
and we'll we'll double click really quick on the pre and the post workout thing in just a second. But what's interesting to me and what you're talking about is a lot of people, you know, these days looking into different ways of eating, like the keto diet, a lot of fat, yeah. no carbs for someone who is training for a marathon. It seems as though something like that could be a little risky. Absolutely. And there's also, you know, train, what would it be? Train low, race high is a mentality of you train your body to use just fat. And then on race day, you go ham on carbohydrates. And in reality, that research shows that that actually sets you back quite a bit. Your body becomes less efficient at using that fuel source that it really wants to. There is no performance gain from doing that. Let me repeat, no performance gain from training without carbs and then adding them on race day. Your body doesn't know what to do with them. It frightens me. It's like that saying, it's like nothing new on race day. Well, if you've completely nixed carb from your diet and then all of a second you're like, I'm going to eat all the carbs. It seems right. like, mm, sounds like you're really going to need a rest stop. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. And t- <laughs> truthfully, carbs are so, so key because those glycogen stores in your muscle are stored carbohydrates. That's something that you can also train. The more trained your muscles are, the more carbohydrate you can store in there. And that's another reason that weight gain might happen during marathon training is because your muscles become better at storing energy. If you are constantly kind of burning through those glycogen stores that are there because you don't have carbs in your diet at a high enough amount, your performance is going to suffer. Fatigue really starts to set in once those stored carbs are gone. And then you're not giving your body any exogenous carbs. So meaning ones that you're taking in in a, a gel or a chew or drink, whatever that might be. Um, it's just hard. Again, you're already asking your body to do so much. Why are you then going to get frustrated at your body if it's not doing what you'd want it to do because it doesn't have the adequate fuel to do so? Smart, smart. Okay. So we touched on pre and post. Let's start with the pre. We're gearing up for a run. Let's say it's our weekend long run. What is something or what are the things that we want to lean into before lacing up and getting out there? Yeah. So I would say this starts the night before and trying to just make sure that you have loaded those glycogen stores as much as possible before your overnight fast. So the night before a long run, you want to have a lot of carbs. And I'm saying around 100 to 150 grams, either at that meal or at the meal plus something that you had before bed. In the morning, you want to focus on trying to replenish those as much as possible. This is a bummer, but that's going to require you to wake up a little earlier. Ideally, you'd be up maybe an hour and a half to two hours before that long run, focusing on a meal that has, again, a significant amount of carbohydrates. Can be, um, it could be toast, it could be oats if your body responds well to that, can be cereal, can be rice, whatever works well for your body. And then about 30 minutes before, you also want to focus on some more simple carbs. So that could be like a piece of fruit, could be... Um, a Gatorade, something like that, whatever it might be. That's a that's a sport right there. <laughs> that's a lot of intention and a lot of effort that is just in the preparation for you being able to perform your best on that run. Um, right. Into runs, most people have about somewhere between 45 and 75 minutes of stored energy in their muscles in that form of that glycogen. If your run is going to be longer than 75 minutes, you really want to start focusing on introducing some carbs around the 45 minute to 60 minute mark, just because again, you never want to get to that place where those glycogen stores are tapped and you're out of energy. By the time you feel hungry, it's too late. You've missed the mark. 
Um, so 45 to 60 minutes is usually when you want to start having some of that, that carb source from the outside and then every 30 to 45 minutes or so thereafter. You touched on two important things just there. The first of is the timing of the pre-run or pre-race meal. You're saying an hour and a half to two hours and following it up with something like a piece of fruit closer to your start time. I get so many DMs, uh, sensitive subject warning, warning <laughs> of, oh my God, how do I not use the bathroom? And I think, again, it goes back to this timing element and giving your body enough time to get into whatever that you're putting into it. Yep drink some hot water when you wake up an hour and a half to two hours before that can help as well. And I will say too, everyone's different. So, you know, for one person eating a banana, maybe there's no problem for another person eating a banana is literally the worst thing they could do to themselves before run. So a lot of that is just trial and error. And that's also a great thing to take into race day. You should have trained your body to deal with that meal that you're going to have pre-race like you should be doing all of your other runs. Again, what you do on race day should not be anything that's brand new. Right. And something else you touched upon was that 45 to 60 minute post beginning of your exercise window when you could consume some sort of carbohydrate. I get a lot of people in my DMs asking me how to fuel for something like a 10K. And my response is always, well, you're probably not going to be out there long enough that you're going to need to bring something that someone may bring on a longer run, let's say upward of eight to 10 miles. Uh, Although I totally understand and recognize, you know, we're trying to be cautious. We're trying to be safe. We're trying to give our bodies what they need. Uh, you know, at that lower, that lower amount of time on your feet, that lower amount of time out there, your body's just not going to really need the carbohydrates like it's going to need in a longer workout. Yeah, for sure. And again, I kind of like to think of it if it's over 75 minutes, like maybe you can squeak by on those last 15 minutes running on fumes, but if it's going to go over 75 minutes, it's not worth it. That goes kind of the same for, even if it's just like a shorter weekday run, If you're going to be running over 60 minutes, it's really worth having something 15 to 20 minutes before. If it's going to be a 45-minute run, you might be able to do it without eating something beforehand. But again, just focusing on that fuel source, we have, based on your training, about 45 minutes for most people, up to 75 minutes for very trained people of glycogen, so of energy available. So you want to also think, it's not that you had a crappy run, it's that your muscles ran out of fuel. So if you don't want to, you know, if you live and die based on kind of how you feel in the morning for your runs, set yourself up for success by giving your muscles what they need. And what do you say to those individuals who are on the intermittent fasting train? Yeah. Intermittent fasting is not the best for athletes, truthfully. Um, If you are someone that wants to intermittent fast, I encourage you to move your workout back later into the day where not only you can have enough fuel before it, but also super importantly, you have fuel after it, you know, waking up doing a six mile run and then not eating for four hours is not good for you. Um, One thing that I love, love, love to remind people is that just because you don't give it to your body doesn't mean that your body doesn't need it. So what your body does to replace its glycogen stores, if you don't provide it glucose or carbohydrates to do that, is it goes to breaking down your muscles, the glucogenic amino acids in your muscles that can become glucose, become glucose, and then your body puts those into storage as glycogen. So it's very counterintuitive to be trying to train to improve your performance, but not also supporting it with nutrition, because when that nutrition piece isn't there, you're breaking down some of those gains that you just tried to make. So it's a, 
I won't say a no brainer because it's very confusing. There's a ton of stuff out there. But if you actually like stop to think about what these different inputs are doing to your body at different times, you want to make sure you're maximizing the stressors that you're putting on the body. You you want to maximize the outcomes of whatever type of um, stressor that you're doing. So in this case, a run, you want to get the most benefits from a run. You have to have nutrition that also supports that. So you're also insinuating that by not providing your muscles with the fuel that they need, you're certainly more prone to injury. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And one more thing with that intermittent fasting too, again, eating is a key component of that training. If you are arbitrarily restricting the amount of hours in the day that you can reach that calorie need, there's a good chance you're not going to do it. Um, That's also going to have a big impact on your performance. So you have to kind of be weighing what your ultimate goal is. Is it performance? Great. Is it weight loss in a bikini competition? Okay, then it's not performance. So don't be upset when your performance suffers because that's not where you're focusing. Right. And I would I would also advise, as I'm sure that you would as well, regardless of what your goals are, if you're at any point thinking about taking on a different type of training routine or completely switching up your diet, then it can be super helpful for you to consult one-on-one with an expert in your area, whether that be a physician, a registered dietitian, or someone that can really give you that personalized advice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and most individuals can see a dietitian on their health insurance and it's covered as a preventative visit. Um, look it up. I'm sure they'll be happy to walk you through it. And it can save you a lot of frustration and heartbreak. Um, if your training doesn't end up as you would hope it, that it does, you know, if you're putting in so much effort and it doesn't pay off on race day, it could just be because there's a couple tweaks in your nutrition that needed to be there. taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my friends at Gooder. We are in prime summertime, which means now is the ideal opportunity to snag yourself a great pair of sunglasses. Now I have been obsessing over my Gooders since the moment my first pair arrived. I loved how they're both stylish and functional and I never have to worry about them falling or slipping, whether I'm on a bike ride, heading up over the GW Bridge or tackling 400 meter repeats at the track. They have shapes and styles for every taste, whether you are a big aviator kind of human like me, I'm huge into their Operation Blackout, but they've also got a lot more colorful options. Take a peek at the Electric Dinotopia Carnival. I'm not making these names up. (laughs) Again, so many options. Of course, I have a great deal for you. These are super inexpensive to begin with, starting at $25 a pair, but exclusive for Hurdle listeners, you can get an additional 15% off your order today. Just head on over to gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash hurdle and use the code hurdle15 for 15% off your order. Again, that is gooder.com slash hurdle. Use Hurdle15 for 15% off your order today. So something else that we want to make sure that we get into as well is the post-workout window as well. You had touched upon it when we were just discussing intermittent fasting, that as detrimental as it could be perhaps to not eat before a long run, it could be even more detrimental to not give your body what it needs afterward if you're in that window. So let's talk about the post-run window and what kind of the Goldilocks amount of 
whatnot we should be reaching for. <laughs> yeah. So I think that there's some, I think a long time the school of thought was that you wanted to get a post-workout meal within 45 minutes after any type of workout that you did. And I 100% still um, recommend that to my athletes or to inside tracker users. But there's now research that shows that that 45 minute window isn't quite as rigid. Um, you can have protein throughout the rest of the day that's going to help support that muscle protein synthesis. So your body removing damaged muscles, replacing muscle fiber, replacing that muscle, and also building new muscle. Um, but I like to focus on that 45-minute window right after a run because it then becomes so much easier for you to get in the amount of energy that you need for the rest of the day. So a Goldilocks situation, ideally, there's going to be about a three to one ratio of grams of carbs to grams of protein. The calculation there, I believe, is 0.3 grams per kilogram of protein. For most of us, that's probably between 20 to 35 grams of protein. So then you want to times that by three, and that's how many grams of carbs you want to have at the same time. When you break it down like that, <laughs> it just sounds so easy. So let's just say it's 25 <laughs> grams of protein and 75 grams of carbs. It's ideally what okay. you can have within an hour after your workout. The sentence, within an hour of your workout, like the workout bulk or what that workout consists of can vary so greatly. So how, how does that shift for someone that maybe like just did a weightlifting session versus someone that's going out for a two hour long run? Yep. So our focus with uh, endurance is going to be replacing that glycogen that we use during the run. So your carbs are going to be a lot higher. Uh, weightlifting, certainly you can still use some carbohydrates, but it's pretty, it's lower intensity if you're just focusing on weightlifting. If you're doing CrossFit and it's, you know, burpees and jump ropes and stuff, that's pretty high intensity. So you still are going to want to focus on replacing those carbs. Um, if you're just going to do like a low key strength training session, a one to one ratio or a one to two ratio is probably enough. So 25 grams of protein and 25 to 50 grams of carbs for weight training. But for that endurance, that three to one ratio is really, really what you want. Because especially if you have another training session the next day, you're going to depend on those glycogen stores to be there and be ready for you in the morning. And you want to take advantage of your muscles essentially being vacuums um, in the post-workout window to really absorb as much of that glucose as possible so it's there for you the next day. Certainly what you eat throughout the rest of the day is also important though. So um, that doesn't mean you go low carb the rest of the day. I think this is another big misconception. If you, again, are going low carb, it doesn't mean that your body doesn't require carbohydrates. Your body's going to use those carbs stored in your muscles to get you through the rest of the day. So in the morning when you wake up, there's no carbs there for your muscles to be able to use as fuel. So keeping mm. those carbs throughout the rest of the day as well to not only protect the carbs that you're starting to, you know, that are in your muscle, but also to help build those up. Because that's really what you're depending on the next day, especially if you don't eat anything before you run. Right. Okay. So then give me some like staple examples of a good post run meal. Uh, so I will say it can be a meal or it can be a snack or protein shake type thing. It doesn't matter. If you hate protein shakes, great. Have a meal. Ways that you can get 25 grams of protein. It could be like four ounces of meat four ounces of high protein tofu, four ounces of fish. You could do it with beans, although it would be a lot of beans. You can definitely do it vegetarian. Um, it could be a smoothie with some protein powder in it. Um, it could be a smoothie with hemp seeds and soy milk in it with a ton of fruit. 
You can have two pieces of toast and peanut butter to get you to 20 grams of protein. And then you got to find, <laughs> you probably have to find 40 extra grams of carbs. So put a banana on it and have some apple on the side. And it, again, if you're going for a meal, you know, just thinking about how you can get to 75 grams, that's about a, like a cup of rice and maybe half a sweet potato or something like that. So you're saying the like obscene excitement I get to like go to the diner and just like <laughs> stuff my face might be a little excessive. Not really. I mean, that would be a perfect ideal ratio of 25 grams of protein to 75 grams of carbs. If you went a little higher on carbs, like your muscles aren't going to be upset about it. Especially again, right. if you have that training run coming up the next day, that's only going to benefit your run the next morning. Got you. Got you. Okay. So we've talked about pre, we've talked about post, we've talked about the biomarkers or the things that we should look for when we're talking about perhaps getting blood work done before you start a training cycle. Is there anything else that we should be mindful of when it comes to just overall nutrition during this prolonged period of regular, frequent, intense exercise? Yeah. Well, one thing we haven't touched on yet nutrition-wise is, is definitely electrolytes. Electrolytes, what they do is essentially once you sweat, you lose a lot of water and a really small percentage of electrolytes. That's mostly sodium. As you are refueling, if you only take in water, it's going to take your body a lot longer to rehydrate. And that's because without those electrolytes, that water, you take it in and you basically pee it right out. Your body's looking for a balance between water and sodium. So replenishing fluids after a tough run, especially if it's humid and hot and you're sweating a lot, you want to make sure that you do have some electrolytes there. Um, monitoring your pee color is definitely a great thing to do. Um, if you're not taking multivitamins or any type of B complex, um, those will definitely turn your pee bright yellow and it'll be really difficult to tell if you're um, hydrated enough. But just like not uh, expecting just drinking water to be enough. You do want to have some electrolytes there to help you replenish. And it makes sense if you're running in the summertime every single day and you're just sweating on the subway, it might make sense to throw in an extra electrolyte tab just because anyways. Um, Non-nutrition related, I'd also just want to put in a plug for sleep and stress management. Same thing that your body does if it doesn't have enough energy. If you are constantly stressed out, you're a type A person, you're in a fight with so-and-so, you are always running very close to a deadline, whatever that might be, our body responds the exact same way to you know, being chased by a lion. Just because our stressors are different, it doesn't mean that our body is no longer hardwired to respond by breaking down our muscles to create that fuel source of glucose so that we can outrun whatever is chasing us. Um, if you have a rough night's sleep, you're, you are going to benefit from sleeping an extra hour and not going out for a run for that hour. And I think that that takes kind of an emotional intelligence that a lot of people don't want to dig into. Um, it's easy just to try and plow through it. But also if you have a super high stress day at work, probably a better workout in the evening is going to just be some stretching and some yoga instead of you adding more stress to your body by pushing yourself through a run that you're you don't have the capacity to handle. I actually think that that's probably been one of my favorite things about wearing a whoop strap is that I have seen stress on my body. I'll wake up. Maybe I had a rough night the night before, whatever about like waking up and being quote unquote in the red, but I could then not 
really work out throughout the day, not do what I would deem to be anything super intense, but just be stressed and like feel like, oh my God, I have to catch up on all this stuff. And at the end of the day, I'll have such a high strain score, even though I wasn't doing a lot of the things that I would normally do. I didn't go out for that four or five mile run. I didn't, you know, run errands all over the place, all this stuff. And my body is still stressed. So I think what you're saying here, again, about that, you know, level of, as you put it, like emotional (laughs) intelligence sometimes to be like, all right, like you need to kind of like, we have to have a word here. You know, we test cortisol at Inside Tracker and that's the marker that made me want to work there truthfully. I've always been a stress ball type A person, but it wasn't until I could see an objective data point of what my brain was doing to my body that I actually started putting effort into changing that. Um, And I I think that that's such an important connection of just because it's in your brain does not mean that it doesn't impact your body. A little unrelated to the broader topic that we're talking about here, but what changes did you make to navigate your high cortisol levels? Um, One of the first things that, well, after stressing about it, <laughs> then I started to, <laughs> Naturally. to dig in. Um, one big change that I met, I um, read a book called 10% Happier, um, which is about meditation. I don't truth, I don't meditate a ton, but it helped me reframe how I think I spoke to myself, it allowed me to put a little bit of distance between me and my thoughts. And that's really what I think meditation is. Any way that you can give your brain a break from you is very, very helpful. That was a, a just a huge shift. Um, I also, because I worked at Inside Tracker, did a ton of research on all markers. I stopped birth control because that was something that was jacking up my cortisol. And cortisol mm. is kind of like a, a chicken or the egg in the sense where if you have a high cortisol level, you feel more frazzled. If you feel more frazzled, your cortisol level is probably going to increase. So it's just kind of like a vicious cycle of that. Um I just, I also, I'm just nicer to myself. It's not worth it. Nobody else remembers <laughs> that important. I spelled vacuum wrong in the third grade. I don't need to think about it every night before I go to bed. <laughs> facts, facts. And uh, to, to rewind and, and go back to our conversation, we did touch on electrolytes, but what we haven't talked upon about yet just, but what we haven't fully talked about yet is just a broader sense of hydration. So I know hydration important all the time. We're all working on it. We're all forever working hydration progress, but especially during training, if you had to give like a goal amount of hydration, where are we going? Well, for every person, a good baseline is taking your body weight in pounds and dividing it by two. That's just to be alive. A great way that you can figure out your sweat rate when you're exercising, an easy sweat test that you can do is get on a bike. Um, If you have it in your house, that's great. Weigh yourself before, ride it for 30 minutes to an hour, weigh yourself afterwards. That's going to tell you in ounces how much water your body typically loses in a 30-minute or an hour ratio. So if you lose a pound you in an hour, you should drink at least 16 ounces for each hour that you're active. Um, I think most of us know if we're salty sweaters or if we're high sweaters. If you're somebody that finishes a run and you're coated in white flaky stuff, you probably really want to put more sodium in there than you expect. Um, and that hydration piece is also super key. If you, This is another thing that if you start a run dehydrated, you're never going to make it up. So heading Mm -hmm. into a run or a race, absolutely as hydrated as possible. You don't want to overdo it, but you want to be hydrated is super key. If you think about what hydration is in our body, it's our blood volume. 
So if you are running and you're dehydrated, you have less blood in your body. And if you think about what your blood is doing, it's transporting oxygen and it's transporting nutrients. So if your body is trying to provide a ton of oxygen to your working muscles, but you have less blood to do it, your heart is going to be pounding, trying to pump less fluid at a much higher rate to still meet that need. Your heart beating a lot faster translates to you feeling like that's a much tougher run. It's a night and day difference of running when you're dehydrated and running when you're properly hydrated. I think I really dealt with that for the first time earlier this year. I went to run a 10K race. And in running the 10K race, I did it, I think, maybe two days after I moved into my new apartment. And so I had moved all day. Like, I please, I like probably drink a bottle of wine with my father (laughs) after we moved. The next day, I was like unpacking all day, my strain, top-notch strain. And I was like, I'm just going to go race this 10K. I have never felt as like, I was okay, okay, okay. And then I was just not okay. It was a hot day as well. But this was truly the first time that I was like, wow, you really, the dehydration for me totally got the best of me. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too. If people are traveling for races, flying is very dehydrating. So you want to make sure you're drinking a ton of water either before or after the plane ride, if you're sketched out about drinking it on the plane. But also when you arrive at a new place, that's not your home most of us tend to drink a lot less water. So don't forget that maybe you should go pick up a gallon or two at the grocery store and try and get through that water before race day two. Okay. So we've talked about hydration. We've talked about pre and post and just generic things to keep in mind, electrolytes, anything else that's like a, uh, you know, thing that we should really be taking into account when it comes to just prolonged periods of increased activity? I would say the last thing that I can think of is just working on making sure you're taking enough antioxidants in your diet as well Mm. to help deal with inflammation. For endurance sports in particular, a lot of the strain is on our joints and our joints typically respond to strain with inflammation. Um, Certainly we're using our muscles, but we're not usually causing a lot of muscle damage as we're running, unless maybe you're doing sprints or you're running hills. Um, So to deal with that inflammation, ideally your diet would be pretty high in the antioxidants to kind of help stop that almost snowball effect that inflammation can have. Um, Antioxidants Mm. that you really want to focus on are vitamins A, C, and E. Vitamin A, you can get it from, um, there's two forms of vitamin A. One of them you can get from liver and egg yolks. The other type of vitamin A you can get from plants. So red, orange, yellow, um, cued fruits and vegetables or dark leafy greens. Um, Vitamin C, most of us are familiar with citrus, but berries, broccoli, bell peppers, Brussels sprouts, kiwi are also really great sources. And then vitamin E, Um, This is a a good tip, a sneaky trick um, for just getting in more vitamin E is just to swap in sunflower seed butter for almond butter or peanut butter. It's one of the best sources of vitamin E that there is. Um, And then the last Mm. one is uh, a selenium, which again, you can find in liver or you can get it from Brazil nuts. And just having a bag of Brazil nuts in your fridge and popping one or two a day meets your selenium needs supplementing these things versus doing what you just said and seeking out whole food uh, examples of them. What are your thoughts on it? Um, 100% take the food. For vitamin A and vitamin E, those are two fat-soluble nutrients. You can really overdo it with supplements and your body's going to hold on to that. 
I would never in a million years recommend a vitamin A supplement for anyone. So please just eat your red, yellow, and orange fruits and vegetables. For vitamin C, maybe a supplement is helpful. It's a water-soluble vitamin that if you take in more than your body needs, you're just going to pee out. But if you're going to eat a whole food with it, why not get the benefits of all the other nutrients and the fiber that goes with it? Okay. Wow. So much amazing knowledge here. So much great information. A lot to keep in mind for me as I (laughs) continue on my marathon quest toward hopefully, knock on wood, London and New York. Uh, Any final parting words of wisdom that you want to offer the hurdlers who are also on a quest of their own? Just eat your food. It's worth it. (laughs) Eat enough. Eat your food. (laughs) Yet I will make lunch as soon as we are off of this recording. Thank you so much, Ashley. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give us all the info. Sure. So Inside Tracker, you can follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, My personal love is for cholesterol. So you can find me at lower.cholesterol.nutrition on Instagram or TikTok I just joined, which is horrifying, but I'm there. (laughs) I'm there. I'm there. I'm working on it too. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 